Our society is relating and communicating in written form more than ever before, but that opens us up to criticism, misinterpretation, both professionally and personally. As leaders, as parents, just as humans of society, we have the power to mold the environment with our words and to really change habits. And that's what we're talking about today. The Speakeasy Podcast, honest conversations about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity and business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. So here's what we're drinking today, the classic Manhattan. And since it's one of your new favorites, why don't you tell us about it? My goodness, we've got Rittenhouse Rye, this Carpano Sweet Vermouth, which has the most beautiful bottle. It's, it really is gorgeous. It's really quite nice. And some bitters, of course. It's a it's a pretty strong drink. It's a sipping drink for sure. You do not gulp this by any stretch of the imagination, and you'd never, never use a straw. It's just really sophisticated. It feels like it's got a little bit of hidden secret in it which works well for words, I suppose. There is a sophistication to this drink, and I think that that's something that's very special. And appropriate, maybe, for this topic. Absolutely. So tell me about words. What do you think? So this is such a big, broad brushstroke, right? Words and language. We're both people who are employed because words are important. The things that people say in video content, the things that get crafted around a marketing plan and a brand. I mean, words are so important, but I feel over time this erosion of language that we've gotten really lazy. That's true. I might write thousands of words a week, but really there's about four emojis that will do it for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think shorthand absolutely plays a role in communication. I think words are tools. Shorthand does play a role in it. You know, I had a potential employee once tell me WordPress was her jam. And I was like, oh, it's my jam. That means she knows what she's doing. She's and And it set me at ease. And turns out it wasn't a skill set that she was comfortable with, I fell for that shorthand, and I took it to mean something it didn't. I took it to mean skilled and proficient and ready to go, when that wasn't really what it meant. So I absolutely let that shorthand skim over the questions I should have asked, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, so what did she mean? Uh, I think she meant she was enthusiastic about it and really wanted to do it, which is a different, you know, you could construe saying something as your jam that way. But um, I took that meaning all wrong. And so what I learned from that was I need to ask more specific questions. I can't infer my meaning on someone else's words, I think, is what I learned that day. There are other ways that we've gotten lazy with language, though, too. You know, everything is awesome. I'm fine. We have all sorts of rhetorical habits in our language that we use that really have no meaning at all. They're very, in fact, it's it's pretty vapid. <laughs> so what other what other laziness do we have in our communication? Oh, gosh. Uh, sure. Okay. The great parenting one. Maybe. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. So it's easy to use a word or two to gloss over the conversation that should be happening. And I think as listeners, we've learned if somebody says, oh, everything's awesome, everything's okay, we just agree. Yes, of course it is. Rather than maybe asking a follow-up question, delving in deep to get some specifics, asking why, we have just learned to let a quick text worth of information represent paragraphs of conversation. And that maybe isn't the healthiest for us. As leaders, it's not, for sure. As parents, it's not. So maybe we should work to be more intentional. Absolutely. Or even something like a Slack or a Twitter or Instagram where you're tracking hashtags, you're actually using hashtags to communicate exactly what you want to say. Again, it's a great tool, 
but can a hashtag on a Slack channel really solve a communication need? Sometimes yes, sometimes sometimes no. You just shouldn't use it as a crutch all the time, I suppose. Yeah. I think it's the same way when we're writing professional emails. There are certain words and phrases that you just can't use. You know, there was a, as soon as lean in happened, there was this whole movement of women need to remove the word just out of their emails. And I was like, well, what word do I put in place of that? You know, and so I kind of pay attention to all those HuffPo, (laughs) like 15 words you should no longer say because they're either disempowering us especially as women, because I guess that's what I was reading, or they're just dead words. They've lost meaning altogether. And there are a zillion dead words out there and idioms. Dead words is my favorite. We have a listener, and I think he used the hashtag, work words to retire, and his first entry was pivot, which I think is hilarious, because to me, pivot just means you got fired. We need to pivot from this uh, conversation. Pivot means, let's avoid talking about that. It's awkward. And we talk about this in our industry so much, and it's really killer, because words that are meaningful for either Karen's work at Render or my work at Redhead are things like brand development, storytelling, strategy. Those are really important words. They are what we do, but they're so overused that they've become trite. And that's frustrating. I don't know. Does that bother you? It absolutely bothers me. I feel like we've used the word storytellers for nearly a decade to describe what we do. And we've really just given up because even though it's the sincerest form of flattery, the people who are not doing it very well are using that word. And we just can't be associated with that anymore. Which breaks down the meaning of it and the power of it, right? And so I think that this happens, especially in a culture where how we communicate is moving so fast, the tools we use to communicate is moving fast, the ideas that we as a culture are inventing are moving faster than the language we have to describe them. So someone somewhere will land upon an idea, storytelling, strategy, and everyone else goes, oh, that's what I've been meaning to say. And they all rush in to use this word and they dilute it. In using the same words over and over, they become diluted, they become trite, they become ridiculous. Then, you know, as a creative, I become frustrated because the words that really describe what I do really have no meaning anymore, which means I have to invent some new ones, I suppose. I'm not invent sure. some new ones or rearrange them a little bit better. Right. Well, and there's, and there's a ton of places where you're going to find groups of words that have no meaning, like on resumes, for example. <laughs> there, is no, there is no single sheet of paper that's going to have more meaningless words than on a resume. Or a LinkedIn profile. Those can get pretty good. I saw a really good piece of advice to remove all adjectives. And in fact, we we have this at at the office. Um, We have a somewhat new staffer. She's quite brilliant and she's really enthusiastic. And I I can call her brilliant. That's okay because I'm giving her that title. She was writing a, a post for us and called our work brilliant. I said, well, no, we can't call ourselves brilliant. That's for other people to decide. So you really have to think where does the word come from? Where does that descriptive come from? We shouldn't be using an adjective like brilliant. We should allow our clients to give us that term. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's what tense and what voice it comes from that I think um, has the most meaning. Another thing with um, words that we've been discussing are are idioms, right? What's your favorite, Karen? I am a huge fan of thinking outside that box. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It makes me crazy. And I can't believe people still say it. It's been around for a long time. Thinking outside the box makes me crazy. I know my husband, a thing at his office is people talk about staying in your lane. That makes me crazy, especially as a business owner. It's like, all these lanes are mine. What are you talking about? (laughs) I can take any lane I want to. I will never forget a couple years ago, I was on a conference call with a client who is remote and 
we have met, we have traveled together, we have shared dinner together, and I really, really enjoy her. And she is um, more senior than me. And we were having really good conversation, and we were coming up with some great solutions. And all of a sudden, she goes, I'm picking up what you're laying down. <laughs> I looked around <laughs> at the people in my office while we were on this conference call, and we all had to put our hands over our mouths just so that we didn't make any noise. Because she was serious. Yeah. She picked up, in fact, what I had laid down. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's It's just funnier the more you tell it. <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe because it's, I'm a visual person, I, I think about like the literal visual translation of some of these idioms. Right. And it's like, what is it that she's picking up? Is it on the table? Is it on the floor? Like, what? Well, and lest you all, lest our listeners think that we're just picking on everybody else, I do it too. I, and I find myself doing it all the time. I was writing a blog post and I threw in some lyrics from Eminem and I thought I was really clever. Then I thought, wait, I'm a mid-career white lady using rapper lyrics. That's painful. Although my editor pointed out that I'm the same age as Eminem, who's a white middle career guy from my home state. So I maybe could claim that somehow, but really it just... So did it stay in or did it come out? It did stay in. My guess is that 20% of people will say, haha, that's funny. 20% of people will roll their eyes at somebody trying to be cooler than they should. <laughs> and the rest of the people won't notice. That's my guess. I have to give some a hat tip to my dad because he is a mixed metaphor person. Oh, so. I um, will never forget driving with my mother and my father to Toronto. And it just takes a really long time to get there, and it's pretty flat and straight. And I remember my dad going, this road is straight as a dime. <laughs> and I was, by myself, <laughs> I was by myself in the back seat, and I was like, that's not a thing. I don't think that's a thing. And then I'm like, I hope I never turn into a mixed metaphor person. <laughs> and I love my dad so dearly, and he's so wise in so many ways. But, man, he... Mixes up metaphors all the time. <laughs> oh, he's a creative fella. He is. That'll do it. So yeah, in, in our industries, we struggle with words and their meaning and when they become diluted. Pro tip, when your intern has a fancy title, that doesn't help the CEO's title have meaning. For example, misusing a word abusing a word doesn't doesn't really help anyone. So we, we struggle with words. That's maybe the genesis of this particular podcast. But I think we have the power to fix it. We do. And, you know, I'm going to be the first person to say that I'm a hypocrite because instead of saying you're welcome, I will default to no worries, which is not quite as powerful as you are welcome. I was intentional about the thing I did for you when somebody says thank you to me. Right. It's too casual and I brush it off as if it's no big deal. There is this intentionality with language. But I, I'm also a hypocrite because I have said to my son uh, when I have heard maybe inappropriate language on the tip of his tongue, I'll say your vocabulary is too big and you are too creative to use words like that. Come up with a better description than a swear yeah. word. I'll be honest. I like an F-bomb, but it's lazy. It's lazy. But you know what? A well-placed F-bomb, like, sometimes it feels good. Sometimes it feels great. Though I will say, you bring up your kids, and you have mentioned to me before that you make an intentional effort at home to use genderless language. I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, we try. It's it's taken some time, and it's certainly not something I did before I was a parent. You know, I 
very openly assumed people would get married and those people would be a, a man and a woman. And that just isn't the world that we live in anymore. We have lots of same-sex marriages in our family. And um, and I want to make sure that my children understand that we can say spouses instead of making the assumption that a woman has a husband or a, a man has a wife. Um, so we're trying really, really hard to kind of strip that away, strip those those societal assumptions away from our family at least. And what would you strip away from the language in your office if you could? Wow, that's a hard question. You're welcome. I think I would strip away no big deal. Yeah, I got it. No big deal. Everything we do for a client is in its own way a big deal. And because we base things on how many hours it takes, everything should be done thoughtfully. Even if it just takes a few minutes, it still has weight. So, yeah, no big deal. We got it. Those dismissive pieces of language, I think we would try to pull those back if we could. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I guess I would I would agree with you if there's anything. I don't know. I don't have a better answer or a different answer for you. We all support each other so well. And we do have some conversational habits that, I don't know, maybe if I asked my staff, they would have something that they would like to strip away out of our language. But I think from a communication standpoint, we do a good job. I think you do from the outside. I will say... In our business, because we're, we're often writing things like taglines or vision statements or the like, we do a lot of work with synonyms and trying to figure out what is a different way to say that term. How can I make this sound different than the competition? And so one of our creative processes is writing piles and piles and piles and piles of words so you can really mine down and find something that's unique and true. And I think that that's useful. And like Karen's suggestion earlier of removing the word just, you could take a look at all of your written communication and see if there's a better word. In almost every sentence, you could probably upgrade your language to be more intentional, more specific, more actionable by getting rid of those diluted, boring words. I think it's important, too, when you're being intentional, that you're also being intentional for your audience. How you would communicate to somebody who's on your team who needs some rallying is, might be different than how you would do a written communication to a client. Um, my niece once told me um, in person to my face, she was like, you know, your text messages annoy me. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and she said, your lack of exclamation points annoys me. I'm like, I will be more enthusiastic with you moving forward. It's not for a lack of love. And it was just like, wow, I just never knew that something so simple as punctuation mattered. <laughs> mattered. And so it's funny because because we are in the business of communication and we have to be so cognizant of the audience to really think in that way, it requires an even more heightened sense of intentionality. Right, because your niece is in a different generation with different generational norms with language than, say, your client would be who might be 10 years your senior. So they each communicate a very different way. And my team, who sits somewhere in between. Right. So one of the things that I do to be more intentional is to kind of slow down and focus on the words that I use, especially when I'm putting them in writing. It's not just removing the word just out of an email, but it's getting to the heart of what it is that needs to be conveyed and making sure that at the end of that email, because of course it's in, in writing, what the expectation is. What's my expectation for a response? You know, is it we need to move forward? Is it we should probably arrange a phone call? Is it an expression of gratitude? What is the intention? What's the intention of that particular communication? Because we all get more than we need, right? More We're, communication than we need? I think so. Oh, yeah. 
How do you work in being more intentional? I work in being more intentional with editing as well. I will find myself making three sentences of defense to get to the fourth sentence, which is the meat of the communication. And very often taking out those first three sentences makes whatever I'm saying or writing much more succinct, much less ambiguous and faster to read. So I find myself removing the explainers, removing the text that's sort of defending or describing and just getting to the meat of what it is I'm asking for or saying. And I think as long as you add an appropriate exclamation point here and there, <laughs> um, you can be quite direct and still be friendly. Sure. So that's, that's I think, the, the tactic that I use most often. That's um, great advice. I learned from you um, from a writing standpoint, I learn from you all the time. When I get when I get frustrated by something, I will sit and write paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of why it's wrong or why something is frustrating me or what should happen instead. And then I will sit on it, usually overnight, sometimes for days, and then I w- might use 15% of it. Mm-hmm. So much of that language I will leave behind. Takes a minute. It takes, takes some minute. practice. I think, too, in... Um, in interpersonal communication and in person communication, I try really hard to seek clarity. I, I ask a lot of questions, and I think that's not just project-based questions so that I can understand my clients better, but I always want to come from a place of curiosity and trying to understand the other person. I have found in recent years, and maybe it's because I'm becoming more seasoned, I feel like we've lost the ability to have good discourse, to have a great dialogue where we don't agree with each other and that somehow you're wrong and I'm right. And we're just not growing because of it. And it's because of a lack of words, but it's also a lack of listening. It's from where your listening comes from. That's true. I mean, and people have heard this piece of advice before, but so many people don't listen to hear, they listen to respond. They're listening while they're waiting their turn to puke some profound idea out. And that's that's just waiting patiently. It's not listening. So if you listen, you can usually find some sort of common ground. And if you listen carefully, then take the time to restate what someone has said to you. They understand that you have heard them, and then they're more open to hearing you when you start to share an idea. I think there's a peace and calm that comes over someone when they feel they've been heard. And I think that's true at the conference room table and at the dinner table. Can, can I tell them they've been heard with a really good emoji? Yeah. I bet you there's an emoji for that. <laughs> there is. I mean, I've found just in the past few months, and I'm sure my staff is sick of it, and I know my teenagers are sick of it, but instead of using the heart eyeballs emoji, I'll just type heart eyeballs because I know that that heart eyeballs re- refers to the heart eyeball emoji, which means you love something very much, and I think it's funny to refer to the emoji with written words, but probably not. <laughs> It probably just makes me old. (laughs) I think it's actually really cute. You took the time to actually type it out. Heart eyeballs. Heart eyeballs. Everybody knows that emoji, right? Of course. I think it might be. I think kissy face might be my, my like... Go-to? My go-to. Kissy face. One more thought with words, Karen. What words would you use to describe your empty cup right now? It was smooth. It just was really delicious. I'm glad I sipped slowly. That's true. This is not a drink to gulp. So what's the takeaway, Jen? You are so good with words. Tell me, what's your takeaway? My takeaway is really to do the work to find your own piece of language. As we were mentioning before, people borrow other language, which is a lazy answer and which doesn't help anybody. So do the work to really find what words you mean. Take the time to describe you 
your idea, your organization in the most unique and authentic way possible, rather than using those words that have become crutches, like storytelling or branding or whatever, whatever, whatever. And I think the world is better for it if you can find a way to be more descriptive without using words that are comfortable. And I think that's true for expressing yourself with your words as well, not just describing your organization, but really getting to the heart of what you mean and not relying on idioms to tell somebody else what your experience is like. Just tell people what your experience is. And I think that has a ton of value. And um, I think that we've given each other a lot to marinate on. It's one of my favorite words. Marinate? I do like that's to marinate. Be- that's because Thanksgiving's coming. <laughs> That would, that would be brine. That would be brine. Actually, I do. One other takeaway, too, is to really think through my cultural assumption about my words might be different than yours, Karen. And so the meaning I have attributed to a word or a phrase could be very, very different than the meaning that, that my audience has attributed to a word or a phrase. So thinking thoughtfully about the words you use can have tremendous amounts of impact, especially those of us who are in communications and in the creative industries and the marketing industries. We have such power to build equity. We have such power to create ideas and to help conversations grow that we shouldn't squander it with simple words like awesome and fine. Or even dismiss our own power by saying no worries or no problem. Use your words, people. (laughs) Word. Use your words. That's what they'd tell the toddlers, right? It is. But I mean, gosh, some of those little lessons that you learn right in the beginning of life, it's important to be reminded of time and time again, because we get busy and we're speaking quickly and we're communicating quickly. And gosh, our inboxes are so full. Karen, where can our listeners find us? You can find Easy Underground on all the social channels or visit our website at thespeakeasypodcast.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you next time. What are we talking about next time? In some ways, we're talking about being more intentional. What do you wish you would have done 10 years ago? What are your regrets? What what great piece of advice would you give a friend or colleague? And the most important part, what are you going to do about it now? Because 10 years from now, you don't want to look back on today. So that's what we're talking about next time. 